Dr. Yoshi may be the provider that has done the most of this procedure in this country. What is IBU exactly? Yeah, so IBU stands for extracorporeal blood oxygenation and ozonation. So mm -hmm. you can, a lot of people think of it as a, like a dialysis. And that's really just because we have blood coming out of one arm, going through this machine, and then coming back into the other arm. It's not dialysis at all. It's we get this huge surface area of our blood exposed to the oxygen ozone mixture. Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity, and wellness. I have always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor combined with real world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. And you know, I'm excited to bring you the best doctors, scientists, uh, thought leaders uh, on this podcast to really illuminate um, on your knowledge, your understanding of health and wellness. And I just want everybody to live a better life. So today I have the pleasure of uh, interviewing Dr. Yoshi Ram. And Dr. Ram, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Okay, I think you tend to be called Dr. Yoshi, right? That's Let's uh, go with Dr. Yoshi, yeah. That, that's kind of what how patients call you, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Dr. Yoshi is actually here based in uh, Southern California in LA County. And he, very interestingly, grew up in a small town in Northern California and had a very simple upbringing uh, without electricity and TV or phone. And uh, so that gave him an early appreciation for healthy living, but he did have family members that were ill and that became a driving force for Dr. Yoshi to pursue healing in the form of becoming a family physician. And during his residency at Glendale Adventist Medical Center, he received highest distinction, the resident of the year award, and also the one presented by both faculty and the staff. And he went on to become an attending physician and then established his own practice, Oasis Family Medicine in Glendale. And he has been a pioneer in holistic healing approaches. And one thing he's very passionate about, and we're going to focus on a lot today, it's what's called Ibu. Uh, this particular therapy has gained tremendous popularity. People are beginning to understand the power of this treatment that combines uh, ozone therapy and light therapy. And I'm, I'm going to have Dr. Yoshi to go into details, but Dr. Yoshi has done probably close to 2,000 of these procedures on patients and maybe the provider that has done the most of this procedure in this country. Um, so he's very qualified to speak about this um, particular treatment and also some other treatments that he's excited about. So Dr. Yoshi, I can't wait for you to educate everybody on what you do. Yeah, happy to share the knowledge and share the wealth. So. Looking yeah. So, so before we dive into Ibu, I'm so curious, how did you grow up with no electricity <laughs> in America? Yeah. Right? From China. It's like, you know, <laughs> did that happen in America? Right. <laughs> Hippie parents is what it boils down to. Grew up like small town, an hour outside of a small town in Northern California. Yeah, no electricity, no running water, literally no nothing. Lived the first few weeks of my life in a teepee. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, wow. so I think just I lived that way until I was 11 when we moved into town. And were you running uh, around with no shoes? Absolutely. Like wow. grounded, sunlight, fresh water, clean food, <laughs> gardens, right? The whole, the whole spiel. And uh, yeah, I think that just gave me a strong foundation. Wow. And who in your, in your family was not well? That kind of a... Yeah, my younger brother, who was three years younger than me, he actually had min uh, spinal meningitis when he was a baby. And so as a result, he had some of his brain removed and ended up having seizures for the rest of his life, which he passed away when he was 25 from one of those seizures. But just growing up as his older brother and kind of helping to take care of him um, definitely spurred my interest in especially brain health neurological mm -hmm. health um kind of fast forward um my dad actually passed away from als he passed away in 2015 i became a doctor or started my practice in 2011 so that kind of was a big impetus to pushing me into integrative functional medicine um and we were able to help him for sure uh enjoy those last few years of his life um definitely slowed down the progression obviously it didn't we didn't stop it. I kind of wonder if I had today's tools, uh, if we would have been able to halt it potentially, maybe reverse, who knows. Wow. Uh, but it's kind of a, it's been a good long learning journey for sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you went into uh, medicine. So you are a, um, a doctor of osteopaths, right? So what I understand is um, the way osteopaths education goes is that you learn everything that MD learns and then you also do some adjustments. Is yeah. That, that yeah. That's a pretty good way of doing it. Yeah. It's basically the MD education and then an additional 200 hours in the musculoskeletal system. Right. So a lot of DOs will have that ability to do some either like cranial sacral therapy or adjustments like mm -hmm. a common chiropractor would be able to do, but it really, it just comes down to in general, the average DO probably has a little bit un better understanding of the musculoskeletal and neurological mm -hmm. system to begin yeah, with. Yeah, so I think both MDs and DOs were pretty much locked into the traditional medical approach mm -hmm. of diagnosing and prescribing drugs. Yes. So how did you jump out of that model? Yeah, I so I kind of just grown up hippie. I was always exposed to a little bit more um, holistic alternative medicine ideals. So I kind of went through medical school, kind of assuming I might go that route, um, and then explored a couple of conferences my last year of residency, and was like, okay, I'm gonna you know put out my own shingle and go into this and then my dad got diagnosed with als like literally right when my practice started mm -hmm. and so that was just like my first okay we're gonna i gotta go beyond what i was taught in medical school and residency right because right? They're not there's nothing there's exactly. nothing for als on that front like zero right just watch right? the decline that's watch the decline large. put you on a ventilator that type of thing right but it doesn't actually get to why the als is started in the first mm -hmm. place which is Kind of the premise of functional medicine, integrative, holistic medicine, depending how you want to call it. And so, yeah, that was just a great way to, and that's the part that I'm thankful for his diagnosis is it like sped up my learning curve a lot more than it probably would have. And, um, and like, I mean, I what ways do you think you actually were able to slow down his progression and help him? 
Yeah. So started, um, I would say the biggest things, I mean, so I'm not going to mention all the nutraceuticals I had them on, but I had them on a ton. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I would say a couple of the game changers were IV glutathione and IV phosphatidylcholine because he 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 still lived in northern california and so he would come down to southern california for large chunks of time months on end and then kind of go back there for a few months go back up north for a few months and we could see when he would come back when he would come stay with us and go into my office like almost every day or at least three times a week uh, for these ivs his progression his rate of decline would i mean it would just like halt there would be no progression. And then he would go back up north and kind of do his own thing, not have access to the IVs. He would still mm -hmm. be taking the nutraceuticals orally, right? But he didn't have access to the IVs up there. And he would just, he would absolutely go like that. And he did that. I mean, he was given 12 to 18 months to live. And I think we got him like five years, four wow. and a half years. Uh, so by all standard, like he should have passed away. So we were definitely able to, uh, extend his life. And he was, a, that was a good thing for him. That's probably not always a good thing for people, but he had such a great attitude mm. about it, that it was really awesome to be able to do that. And, you know, he was like, I'm your guinea pig, you know, what do you got for me? Right. So right. it's just like, make you a better doctor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I'm able to turn around and like give that to all of our patients. Right. And so that's the gift. That's like his gift kind of passed mm -hmm. on part of his gift passed on through me to the rest of patients oh. in the world. Well, well, we have to thank your dad. <laughs> yeah. Big time. So how did you get into Ibu? Did it start with ozone therapy? Yeah. So I've been working with ozone first, just in the form of prolozone. So injections into joints and, okay. and soft tissues since 2012, which that was part of my dad's um, regimen as well. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, we, let me back up just a second. So my mother-in-law actually got diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, mm -hmm. which is a slow scarring of the lung tissue for those of you who are not aware, um, basically until you get a lung transplant or die. Yeah. There's two medications that now out now that can slow the progression, but typically people from diagnosis um, until they either get the lung transplant or pass away is about somewhere between three and seven years on average. Mm -hmm. My mother-in-law was one of 13. She actually had one brother uh, pass away within like two years of his diagnosis. And then another sister who also had IPF and she passed away within two or three years of her diagnosis. And then her mother also passed away of IPF. So very strong um, kind of predisposition to it. And so she got diagnosed um, Gosh, it's probably been six and a half years ago now. And um, that was another like aha moment, right? Like the moment we got this diagnosis, she went from hiking Mount, to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and then six months later could like barely walk, like, keeping mm -hmm. up with her walking buddies. Got the diagnosis and then it was like another aha, okay, what's the, what's the universe doing here, right? Um, so again, opened up the 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 toolbox and just was like what can i offer um and interestingly stem cells were one of those things that mm -hmm. i did on her and 
did it, did IV stem cells, and that just totally halted the progression, like 100%. She actually ended up getting a couple percentages better. Mm. Um, not all better, but totally halted the progression. Beautiful. Now, she's on the medication as well, but um, it was, it's absolutely the stem cells. We have like CT scans to prove it. Um, mm -hmm. The unfortunate part is that her pulmonologists at Cedar sinai don't care what else she's doing. Right. So it's like six years later, after she's had three family members die within two to three years of diagnosis, she's still doing totally status quo. Mm. Right. After going down like this for the first six to eight months. Right. So it'd be, it's kind of, it's just a sad uh, critique of standard medicine that they won't open their mind. A lot of them won't open their minds. Right. They want to do good. But they getting won't. better. And they don't, they're not interested in finding yeah. out how. Why not ask questions how? Right. right? That's really sad. Um, so fast forward. So that was kind of a long-winded explanation. Fast forward to the beginning of the pandemic and that first month of it starting when I think I didn't quite have a better good grasp of what was really going on. I was like, okay, I got to get more, more tools in my toolbox for my mother-in-law. Mm. So and I kind of heard about this ozone dialysis um, I searched around, nobody could like train me on it though, and show me how to do. So I ended up building my own machine. I thought it would take me like a month. It ended up taking me about six months. Cause it was a lot of, it was like my first mad scientist, real mad scientist experience. My blood was on the walls, um, <laughs> all over we had. So we ordered so many sets of tubings and cause there's a lot that goes into the engineering of an Eboo machine. Finally. Again, so can you about... first tell the maybe tell the, the listeners what is Ibu exactly? Yeah, good, great, great question. <laughs> um, so Ibu stands for extracorporeal blood oxygenation and ozonation. So mm. you can a lot of people think of it as a, like a dialysis, and that's really just because we have blood coming out of one arm, going through this machine, and then coming back into the other arm, ideally. Mm -hmm. And but it's not dialysis at all. It's really just how do we get this huge surface area of our blood exposed to the oxygen ozone mixture? And when we say we're giving um, ozone to someone, it's actually usually only somewhere between one and 3% ozone. The other 97 to 99% is actually oxygen. So it's actually oxygen ozone mixture. And so the, in Ibu, extracorporeal, so outside of the body, blood oxygenation and ozonation. So there's this filter that depending on what filter we're talking about, it's about one and a half to three square meters of filter paper. Mm. And our blood is literally running across one and a half to three square meters of mm. filter paper that has a bunch of little micro holes in it where oxygen ozone is on one side and it's permeating through those little holes into our blood. And so it's just this like continuous, we do it for about 45 to 60 minutes typically in someone. And so it's just this continuous low dose of oxygen and ozone being introduced into the, the blood of a person. So any extra benefit of the, using the filter? I know the traditional, you know, ozone therapy, the, the oxygen and ozone mixture is mixed directly with the blood. Is there a benefit to using a filter? 
Yeah, really the the main benefit is just this huge surface area. So where an EBU session probably gives, depending on the exact settings and what other ozone therapy you're talking about, it gives, um, it's probably the equivalent of like 10 to 20 MAHs or major autohemotherapy where a little bit of blood is drawn out, put into a bag, and then some ozone is injected into that bag and mm -hmm. then dripped back into the person. Phenomenal therapy, which I'd love to like mention that we're doing an MAH study that people are welcome to join if they're in Southern California. But again, it's like the EBU is about 10 to 20 sessions worth of oxygen and ozone, right? Mm. And so it just tends to be a lot better. It's probably about two to three times more than a 10 pass for those of you who are fam mm. maybe familiar with a 10 pass. Two um, to so three it's just times like, more. That's a lot yeah. more. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's given more gently than a 10 pass. So 10 pass is a phenomenal therapy. I have nothing bad to say about 10 pass. It, it truly is a phenomenal therapy, but it gives uh, the ozone at a much higher concentration. So it's harsher on the red blood cells, mm -hmm. which some people can just have a, like a Herxheimer's reaction to. And so it can become a, it's kind of like a little too much of a good thing oftentimes, mm -hmm. which can happen with any therapy, right? But it's like, where's that balancing act? And so that's that's part of the beauty of, of, of EBU is that people tend to tolerate it really, really well. Mm, okay. Um, but you're actually connecting a person uh, twice, right? One is a uh, needle that takes the blood out. The other one is a needle that put the blood in. So do you think that, uh, is there an issue for some people not being able to establish this kind of flow? Is that an issue at all? It can be, but that has more to do with the um, experience of the nurse than mm. anything. I mean, for someone who really does it, who has horrible veins, this is probably not a good therapy to pursue because mm. you do need um, kind of moderate to larger gauge needles. Uh, but again, that usually has more to do with how, how good the nurse is. And sometimes it's an issue, but, you know, we've done somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 sessions of EBU at this point, And we've probably turned away maybe like five because of that oh, reason. I see. I mean, less than 10 for sure. So it's not, it's, it does not tend to be a huge issue. I see. Do all EBU therapies include light component? No, not all EBU uh, is created equal. What in, <laughs> what in life is created equal? But, um, we're like the Martin Luther King <laughs> Jr. version of EBU. Yeah, we we include light <laughs> um, in our in our therapy, um, and it's it's light from the UVA, UVB, UVC end of the spectrum, which we is invisible, and then we. Our unit also includes the the full visible light spectrum, so all the way from the reds, oranges, yellow, greens, blues, and purples, and then also actually uh, a little bit of near infrared light, which is also invisible. Mm. It's like this full spectrum, and you know, I I am not a light expert, so I I don't even remember what all of the different wavelengths, but it's not it's much more than like red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, right? Mm -hmm. It's actually, I think that wavelength, wavelength spectrum goes from something like three, 350, 400 nanometers all the way up to call it 650-ish. So there's like three to 400 
nanometers, different colors, if you will. It's not mm -hmm. six or seven or eight colors. It's right. three, four hundred colors. And that's just talking about the visible light. And each each wavelength does something different in the body. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of those are emitted from the sunlight, right? We're humans. We've been developing for a long, long time on this planet exposed to sunlight. That sunlight is so important for our health in so, in so many ways. And so if we can just take some of that and take a little sunlight and put it in a box and add it into this Ibu therapy, there seems to be this synergy. And there's a lot of overlap of what ozone does from a physiologic um, manner as well as the light does. But ultimately, there is they work synergistically. They work together. They work um, to, they seem to actually help minimize negative reactions as well. So people tend to do better We've noticed once we flipped on the the light switch, because the, in the beginning, we didn't have the light. Mm. So it's very interesting. It was only after like a year that we added the light and it was like, aha. And then we added it in hydrogen tablets and then we added in bioactive carbon and then we added a pre-nutrient IV to the EBU. So when you said you add the light, is that just a, the tubing that carries the blood inside runs through the light bulb? Yeah. So there's great question. So the blood goes through the tubing and then there's like this quartz, glass quartz um, section that kind of mm. does this twirly motion inside to get to really rotate all of the red blood cells. So that it's mm. not just the red blood cells going through because kind of like in the ocean, right? It's only the top of the water that gets the light. And then you go down deep enough and there's like literally it's pitch black, right? So it's the same with red blood cells, a lot more um, darker than water, right? So you can imagine that without swirling those red blood cells up, uh, the light would only be absorbed by a certain amount of those. So it's a little special tubing that rotates those red blood cells and mixes them up so it gets really nicely uh, lit up mm. <laughs> and then goes back into the tubing and then goes back into the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so interesting. Um, 10 to 20 times uh, more than the, the regular one pass and then still two to three times more as far as getting, I guess, getting enough of the ozone and oxygen mixture into the blood, right? That's uh, how many times... Uh, more that you're talking about yeah and um and and, and wondering the filter because um you know some people are watching what's going on with the filter sometimes there's like foaming going on do you think that means anything you know what what people see that gets collected at the filter yeah the million dollar questions <laughs> it's funny <laughs> when we first got into this like there's basically nobody in the u.s there's only like two or three other people in the u.s doing this and um, so it's kind of become a, a thing. And there was a lot put out there that the filter um, was collecting a bunch of junk or heavy metals or parasites or toxins. And my take after listening to trying to keep up on all the blogs and everything and sending in some tests ourselves and listening to what other doctors uh, may have done, including like cut open the filters and actually send those in for testing oh. is that there definitely is junk that is collected in that, um, you know, from the filter, there's a little bit of vacuum suction to it. And so people end up with some liquid and, and or foam. And mm -hmm. that's this, like we 
think of it used to think of it as an oil change because we're filtering out a bunch of crap, right? And crap being again heavy metals, parasites, mm-hmm. um, plastic toxins, whatever it is, right? You name your toxin. And take after a few years of this like back and forth discussion is it definitely takes out some of that. But my question and what I don't well, my question is how clinically useful is that? Because I don't believe that there's that much being taken out. And the blood is just a small portion of our body. And so say, just call it units. Say I have a hundred units of, I don't know, cyanide in me. Like let's use a nice deadly one, right? Let's say we have a hundred units of cyanide in me. Probably only one or two of those units is going to be in the blood. The rest of that is going to be in the soft tissue. And so if I do a really like the perfect EBU session and pull out those one or two units of cyanide, well, the moment that's out, one or two more units of cyanide is going to come out of the tissues and go back into the blood. So have I decreased the amount of cyanide in my, in me? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I.e. yes. My answer is there's junk coming out. Mm-hmm. Is it clinically relevant? I don't really think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, thank you for your honest answer, which is a, you know, underestimation, you know, of what can be done with this treatment that you're so passionate about, right? Because a lot of people wish that you're pulling all kinds of gunk and this is, you know, that they, they want to feel that this is a miraculous, you know, a, a really a tremendous, offer tremendous hope for yeah. a lot of people who think they had, they're very toxic. Exactly. And that's good, kind of, it. that goes back to like, there's ibu, which is an incredible therapy, but I never want to say someone should go from here straight to ibu. That's like mm-hmm. never having driven a car and then going straight for the Ferrari. Like we got to do the basics first. We got to do the lifestyle. We got to do some testing, figure out what you're really toxic in, right? Work on taking that out. And then once you are doing a good, well-rounded job of taking care of your health, then we go on to Ibu. And maybe you're a biohacker or anti-aging longevity person who's doing most of those things. None of us are perfect, right? But if you're doing most of those things, then you can absolutely add on Ibu for kind of that extra enhancement, right? Because we know from studies, from having done two rounds of studies, that it lowers inflammation, it lowers blood stickiness, it improves kidney function, it improves like a whole cytokine panel, one of our, our the second round of study that we did in 2023, I was like, what did we, we checked like 18 or 20 cytokines, um, different cytokines, some pro-inflammatory, some anti-inflammatory. And it's like the overall profile definitely got better. And mm. so it's like, we have the data now to, to show that it does what we thought it did and what mm-hmm. we hoped it did. Hmm. Okay. So how popular is the treatment and how many providers do you think in the U.S. actually offers this? Gosh, that's a good question. I feel like, whereas, um, you know, even three years ago, I think I was, we were the only ones and then another one popped up in Orange County. I feel like there's probably like four or five people in, in, in LA area that are doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's definitely gaining popularity. Now, that's LA, right? So, you know, people mm-hmm. are still flying in from all over the country to come do this with mm-hmm. us. 
those first few years, we had a lot of people come in from Florida and Washington, like literally all over the country. Now there's a few places in Florida that do it. So people aren't going to be flying here to do it, right? They're going to find a closer place to do it. Um, so it's definitely gaining popularity. It's going to continue to gain popularity for sure because it, because it is such a powerful treatment. So did this treatment start with you? Were you the first one that's actually doing this? No, it, it, I don't want to take credit. I, I built my own Ebu machine, but it was, you know, so let me back up. This apparently, I didn't have a clue at the time. I was kind of like the naive, naive young doctor or whatever. I had no idea. This has been done in like in Malaysia for decades. Oh. It just has not been done in the United States until four years ago okay it was the first time and there's like one doctor in florida who was doing it one up in the bay area and just those two as far as i know and then i was maybe the third person to do it um has there been a but lot i didn't even know about them has it spread to a lot of different countries by now i you know i don't know I'm sure. Okay. I mean, it's it's so popular now that I would be shocked if it's not in Europe. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure so, it's in Europe. So you mentioned that it's a very anti-inflammatory. It, it reduces stickiness of uh, blood, help with kidney function. What what do you think um, were the most striking benefits you've seen in your patients as far as, you know, helping with people suffering from different conditions? Not that you're making claims that this can treat any of the conditions, but you've seen people with all kinds of conditions and if they tried uh, this therapy did you notice anything that's really interesting yeah i mean in so in the in the studies we actually tracked their so these were these were so we did the blood work where we measured crp fibrinogen sed rate um uh chemistry panel and a cbc for white blood cells platelets and then the cytokine panels so we have that objective data um, but then we also tracked uh, their subjective results throughout the course of the, the study and mental clarity, um, energy, uh, what we call drive, just like will drive, um, sleep quality, digestion, and pain. I believe those are the six that we, we did, mm. that we tracked. Yeah. And interestingly, all of them except for pain. So pain, it was like, one, it was almost, it was, it was split, like 30% actually got worse, 30% stayed the same, and then 40% improved. So slightly more improved. That was the only one where it was kind of like a split. Hmm. But all of those other ones, the mental clarity, the energy, the drive, the sleep quality, and then actually digestion, which surprised me because that was the, the biggest benefit. All of them either tracked as no improvement, but much more often then no improvement was improvement. And so, you know, just speaking from like uh, as objectively as I can about a subjective complaint, mental clarity, energy, mm -hmm. drive, sleep quality, and digestion all improved, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. for someone who's gone through mold or Lyme, like those, you know, we think of those as being two of the bigger issues, more severe issues that affect probably all five of those. It's like they tend to feel better after doing Ebu. And so- now we just have some data to not prove it, but suggest it, right? Because it's mm -hmm. small studies. So uh, a thousand a thousand holes can be poked in our studies, but it's still like, it's still the first of its kind. Mm. 
Why do you think Yibo has gained so much popularity? What are people looking from it? I think it just, I mean, I wish it weren't so, but I think people um, just, they want, they see a Ferrari and they want the Ferrari. I really <laughs> think that's it, right? Now, having said that, once you go do the Ferrari, you're like, it's nice, right? <laughs> like, it works. So it's absolutely, it works. Um, like that's what we've seen again. I, you know, we've had, we have, we've had people fly repeatedly from other states and people that's all like the ultimate testament, right? People are not going to fly back to mm. a little old family practice office in Glendale, California mm -hmm. repeatedly if something's not working. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And what are the range of um, patients you've seen? Do you, do you treat very young patients? Um, that's a good question. I, we haven't done, I have always been reluctant to do what I would say is children. So it's pretty much like adults that we mm -hmm. do. Um, and it really has more to do with the parents when treating children. It's more how the parents are. If they're mm -hmm. super anxious parents, like it's a, it's a big deal to see, um, the blood, that much blood outside, even though it's actually not that much blood, it's a big deal. You know, it, mm. it can really trigger this. Um, it can trigger a vasovagal response, which is mm -hmm. like, you know, the people who are scared of seeing their own blood that faint, like, even if it's not, even if it doesn't end up being someone fainting, you, you can feel kind of crappy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, the most common, um, side effect, if you will, is kind of like right at the beginning of the therapy. And it's really because of that it's because people are just scared. So their sympathetic system kind of goes on overdrive. And so we just, we have stayed away. It's like, we have other IVs that we can do in children where it's just one needle going in and mm. it's clear yeah. colored fluid, right. Rather than like this big old, what looks like a full on dialysis. Mm. So we've just stuck to, to adults. Did you see any chronic conditions that responded really well to this treatment? Yeah, um, pretty much any autoimmune condition, mm. I would say. Um, and it's interesting that the study suggested, again, it's a small study, but it's interesting that it suggested that pain wasn't affected because I would say, like, anecdotally speaking, for the people outside of the study, I would say pain, you know, if it's like from rheumatoid arthritis or just chronic osteoarthritis uh, throughout multiple joints or throughout most of the body, like it seems to really help. It helps a lot with mental clarity also. So for those folks with brain fog, that's another huge one. Brain fog will from name the condition. There's so many reasons someone could have brain fog, but it helps tremendously with that. It's like this, most people report this sense of clarity afterwards. What about things like Crohn's or Mm -hmm. colitis also. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And that's, I think it's because, you know, ozone affects what's called the um, NRF2 pathway, which is, it really gets at this antioxidant response elements. So what it does is it's like, it's this huge oxidation hit to the body, which too much oxidation is bad. It rusts things, right? So too much oxidation is bad, but a little burst of it kind of forces this counter response, which is the ARE, antioxidant response element system, which then enhances 
our body's ability to make things like glutathione, which is our number one antioxidant. And then that can kind of fight, if you will, or counteract the inflammatory response that is present in Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. Mm. So it's like this really neat way. That's what oxygen oxidation therapy really does. Mm-hmm. At the end yeah. of the day. Okay. So autoimmune conditions, what about brain diseases, neurodegenerative issues? Yeah. Again, it, it helps mental clarity. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, why is like, why will there never really be a one pill to fix Alzheimer's? Because it's really like, it's the leaky roof with mm-hmm. you know, 50 holes in it. Right. There's a whole bunch of different reasons that somebody has dementia or name some other neurocognitive decline, right? So it's it's always about like, that's why I say you don't want to just rely on EBU um, because you want to be addressing at least the bigger holes or as many of those holes as possible. But in light of that, oxidation therapy, EBU being what I think of the, as the creme de la creme of oxidation therapy, mm. it's going to do a huge number against inflammation which most chronic diseases most chronic conditions there's a huge aspect of it that's just over inflammation or a dysregulated immune system those are kind of go hand in hand a lot of times and oxidation therapy done well fights that or counteracts it brings balance brings balance to the force i see and how often do you recommend people do this treatment in the beginning, if someone's really going through it once a week for two, three weeks, and then I'd, so basically just two or three sessions once a week. And then I'd like to see somebody like go every two weeks or every three weeks and then kind of bump it out further and further. Um, I think like kind of a good um, biohacking or anti-aging or longevity regimen is probably once a quarter, mm, once every I six see. months, probably once a quarter. Um yeah, so it just depends where someone's at. Are there people that you would recommend not to do this treatment? Um, it's a good question. Uh, we do put a little bit of heparin in it, which just keeps the blood thin so that it doesn't clot when it goes outside of the body. Super safe. If anything, it actually helps lower inflammation. Mm-hmm. So it's a super, we use a super low, low super low dose practically a homeopathic dose. Um, so if someone, but having said that it, it is a synthetic thing. And uh, so if someone has a heparin allergy, that would be number one I, pregnancy. I probably wouldn't do it on someone pregnant just because too much of liability. However, mm-hmm. I will say my first daughter was born in an oxidative environment. We did mm-hmm. ozone therapy on my wife when she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I very strongly believe it. And she's I kid you not, she's a super athlete. I swear mm. it's partially because of the oxidation therapy wow. that she received in utero. <laughs> Pretty sure of it. I have no way of knowing that. So you sure. were giving your wife uh, the EBU treatments? Not the EBU. Pregnant? No, this was before EBU existed in the US. I see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so pregnancy, just from the medical liability, that's really the only reason. And then there's... Um, if someone has a G6PD deficiency, which that's a, a gene that basically it's an oxidation therapy. And so we want, some people can't handle a super strong oxidation. And so we just want to know that we always 
first time someone does an EBU, we do it like a half session, half dose, mm -hmm. and we test the G6PD so that we know if we can go up to the higher dose this their second time coming back. So we just do that test. That's another one that you want to be aware of. And then there's reports that if someone has untreated hyperthyroidism, that could be a, an issue that you want to watch out for. I haven't seen that yet. And that's, again, that's only if it's untreated because the oxidation therapy can stimulate metabolism, which if you're hyperthyroid, you're kind of over metabolism. So then we don't want to over metabolism and over metabolize some situation. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, but you also are doing some studies on the MAH, the major auto chemotherapy um, along. So that's just one pass ozone, right? And you said you were incorporating methylene blue. Yeah. So I, I'm, can I make a little shameless plug for anybody of who course. wants to join? <laughs> you can go to oasisfamilymedicine.com and like right across the top banner, there's like a little apply here now. Um, it is paid, but it is also subsidized. Um, so it's just like a good deal for mm -hmm. most people. Um, but MAH or major autohemotherapy is kind of also known as a one pass. And that's what I alluded to earlier. You actually have a bag of, of salt water, take out some blood, put it the blood in the bag, and then put ozone into the bag, mix it up, and you can see the blood turn like bright red. It goes from like more darkish, bluish, darkish purple to bright red. And then that drips back down, um, sometimes through the light therapy, and then goes back into the body. And what I've seen so far is that also um, improves inflammation on blood work as well. But in this study, it's a six-session study. So we're actually doing MAH alone for the first session, blood work before and after. And then session number two is MAH plus the light therapy. Again, blood work before and after. And then third session, we add in a lower dose of methylene blue. Mm. Same thing, um, blood work before and after. Fourth session, it's a moderate dose of methylene blue. And then fifth session, it's a higher dose of methylene blue. And then we do a sixth session where we might throw in something else because ideas for the future i want to <laughs> know where to go in the future so i just want to what are they one week apart or how far apart one or two sessions a week so it might last three is so the it would last three to six weeks depending if you're doing one or two sessions wow. a week. I bet, so, but these people by the end of the study they feel pretty great yeah oh <laughs> gosh they're gonna they're all gonna feel they're all gonna be very happy they did the study um i can you know very likely um, and then I just hope to be able to like glean, you know, how much of it is the ozone versus how much is it ozone plus light? How much of it is ozone plus light plus a little methylene blue, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, yeah what have you we'll, seen so far? We just we just started that study like from the recording of this like two weeks ago. So we're just getting in first um, round of blood work. So. so you're actually injecting the methylene blue into the blood? Um. Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So it'll be a little bag, a little separate bag of methylene blue that it will drip in. I see. In as yeah. Well. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for playing a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> <Fun>. <laughs> yeah. Fun. To hear the, the results. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, so, uh, but do you use other form of oxidative therapies in your office as well? Like vitamin C, hydro hydrogen yeah. peroxide. Yep. 
Yeah, hydrogen peroxide, high-dose vitamin C. Low-dose vitamin C is not an oxidation therapy, but high-dose vitamin C is considered oxidation therapy. Um, IV curcumin, currently at least, um, mm. that is also a form of oxidation therapy. I mean, you go to PubMed and there's like 5,000 studies on the benefit of curcumin, right? And so mm. they're just, there might be a time and place to do it intravenously. Um, obviously, orally every day is probably better in the long run, but we don't always have that uh, convenience and sometimes we need quicker results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, silver, uh, silver IVs, that's another form of oxidation therapy. So all of them have their little place. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so how can people find you? I mean, I know you're in Glendale from our podcast. What's the best place to find you? Yeah. Just go to oasisfamilymedicine.com and uh, we have other providers who are phenomenal as well. And again, anybody who's interested in joining a study, just click that little bar across the top there. Yeah. And, uh, check it out. Yeah. I just have to say, so I did receive one treatment from you, you know, so that was a while ago. It was fantastic. You know, you were very knowledgeable. Your staff are really professional. So just a, you know, wonderful experience. So um, yeah, appreciate the great work that you're doing and how many people you've helped. Yeah. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure and it's, it's a learning endeavor and always, always, always aiming to improve things. Yes. Yeah. As evidenced by this study that you're putting together. Exactly. Sounds like you're just having fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but I'm having fun. Kind of like uh -huh. you. You're doing really awesome work too. That's so. true. Yeah. If you're passionate about it, then it becomes fun, right? Exactly. If yeah. you don't do it, who's going to do it? So why don't we bring the, bring, let's bring the answers. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Yoshi. You're such a pleasure to interview and um, just a lovely person. And uh, thank you for for being there for all your patients and bringing the you know cutting edge technology to people. And uh, yeah, I want to continue to follow your success. Absolutely. And I could say the same about you. So oh, thank you. thank you. Thank you, Dr. Yoshi. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.